Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Recording. All right. If not, then this is just a special episode for you guys. <laughs> okay guys welcome to the first ever chasing tales live podcast we were experimenting with zoom we have talked and teased about uh, coming to you guys live and interacting with the patreon group and, and using that to to build q a questions that roll into the podcast and, and tie into concepts that uh, sometimes are just better had face-to-face and frankly the dynamic is always better face-to-face in fact this is the first time i've ever seen bill Face to face this entire time. Uh, he's got a lovely face in case you don't see this video podcast. And uh, it's one of those situations where the, the dynamics can be richer. And that's one of the issues that we face with this podcast is we're all remote all the time. And we're going to try and make this a more uh, camp around the campfire type. Wow, we got a bunch of people piling in as we do this. That's great. That's three more. We're going to make this a more campfire setting. And we're doing that first with Spartan Forge, which the beta app has launched. It has been a resounding success. It has not been without its own hiccups, but the app is amazing. I was one of the few that got to see the app before everybody who's in beta got to see the app. And I've seen the progression and you guys have been busting hump and we'll get to that in a second. But I'm going to ask the question. We kind of already teased this a little bit, but does the founder of a hunting app get to hunt or is uh, is he too busy uh, uh, working? I mean, like that, that seems like a, yeah, I haven't hunted at all besides hunting. Uh, I hunted the opener in North Dakota, um, with, I was home for a family emergency and then I ended up talking one of the, um, seek one guys coming out for the opener. And, uh, I hunted with them. I think I hunted three times and the very first night, the very first sit, I shot a good deer in velvet. And then the coyotes got to him, so I never got to get the deer. But um, I basically hunted like those three times, maybe four times total. And then since we've released the beta, it's been 
you know, working every night and every day, trying to get to the full release. Um, just understanding that we're on a timeline. We were trying to get it, you know, our goal on the wall was to get it four weeks and we're almost to five weeks now from beta release. But we, we should be having either, you know, the full production app for everyone and their mother to download either tonight or tomorrow morning. So no hunting yet, but uh, we have the veterans hunt coming up soon. Um, and then I'll probably be the next time that I hunt. If I hunt, well, that is all going on, but that's also probably going to be a rigmarole as well, but we'll see. Well, I mean, I feel, I feel like uh, given the amount of data that's at your fingertips, you should be able to like, just call your shot and be like on November 5th at 4.35 PM, I'm just going to tag out and be done with it. Is that, is that how it works? No, I wish it was. <laughs> I feel like that's some of the way for some of our pro staffers, but it's not certainly not the way for me. It seems like guys like Lee and, um, and uh, Johnny Stewart and uh, let's see Andy. who else. Andy, yeah, Andy, I think has hunted four times this year and killed two Pope and Youngs. Um, so Andy makes me so mad. Yeah, <laughs> he's a beast. He's a beast. And so I guess we haven't told everyone else it, but I'll say I'll tell you guys here. Um, we, we're we're do, we're doing two giveaways actually. Um, right after we launch, we'll be doing one where people can basically throw their name into a pot to hunt with Andy and myself in January, or they can get a free property analysis by either Bo, Andy, Garrett, or Parker. Whoa. So those will be happening right after we launch, but essentially what they'll be able to do with the property analysis is get like a phone call, like three to, I think it's three to five phone calls, or, or actually, I'm sorry, Zoom meets like this, where they'll break down some properties that you want to hunt with them. Um, or uh, you can hunt with us. We're going to be doing a late season hunt in Southern Ohio in January. Um, it'll be myself, Johnny Stewart, Andy, Garrett, and Jake, uh, Jake Bush. That's awesome, um, man. Yeah, so it'll be pretty fun. What do they have to do to enter for that? So for the first, so for the first one, it, all it's going to be is if you subscribe to our newsletter, you can, or if you haven't subscribed to our newsletter, subscribe to the newsletter. Uh, um, and then Beyond that, you can enter yourself multiple times by donating a dollar to, um, we've set up a, a, what do you want to call it? We've set up a, um, my daughter's here. Looking You're fine. Off. Baby, what do you need? Just tell me quick. Oh, she just wants to listen. Sorry, guys. I'm mean <laughs> to my daughter. She just wants to hear me podcast. So you sign up for a dollar. And every time you spend a dollar inside of this, oh, I forget what you call them, a GoFundMe or a, or a Kickstarter. It's something like that. But basically every penny that goes into this thing is going to be donated to the, to the boot campaign on the 14th during our Veterans Hunt weekend. So it's just another, like, so there's, it's no purchase necessary. In other words, if you want to just subscribe to the newsletter, you can get yourself one entry in there. But like if somebody wants to get 200 entries in there, they can donate 200 bucks to this bucket of money that's going to be added up to the money that we've already raised for the boot campaign and all that's going to go to like help um, veterans that are either um, injured from combat or like post-combat or, you know, um, PTSD or like what we call invisible wounds. Uh, those types of things is what the boot camp campaign supports. So that's how, that's how people will be able to enter for those two competitions. So what if somebody only hunts public land? Do they get to like pick a chunk of that parcel? And, and yeah, that's cool. That is I can think of several people who will listen to this or it may already be in this group 
that that is going to be like right up their cup of tea because they're they're hunting these really hard hunt areas like you know some somewhere down in South Florida um having somebody to come in and walk you through that man that might be that might be killer so especially someone like Andy yeah you know someone like Andy or um Lee or those guys that um that really know um public land and like Lee and those guys they really know down south especially um and and Parker um so yeah I would say sometimes when you get like a guy who's from maybe like the Midwest, I feel like it's a bit of a different beast down there. Sure. Maybe we'll try to coordinate like the Southeastern guys, maybe get the Southeastern guys, Midwest guys or gals and get Midwest guys or gals because they're kind of different. You know what I mean? All due respect to like Garrett and those guys. I think they would say the same thing. For sure. And you know, the interesting thing is we've got several guys in this group, including Herb, who's here right now. He's from the Midwest, and ironically, I think it's so contrasting that they actually pick up on little things that we overlook that just stand out to them. So it, it's always cool, man. That, that's what we. That's why we love our little digital deer camp that we've got going because there's always people giving that those different perspectives, and the little hunting community really pops. So that's awesome. Yeah. When how long do they have to give it? Uh, you know, donate to that. When's the drawing? Uh, the drawing will be right. It'll be the Friday of Veterans Day weekend. So we're going to put the app live tonight and then we'll probably put out that advertisement tomorrow night right on, uh, on Instagram for people to sign up for that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yep. Okay. So let's, let's move into the app of this, right? So we, we launched a beta. We, I didn't do anything. You did this. Sorry. I'm totally stealing your, your glamour here. You That's launched this, this awesome app. Um, which had features a lot of people I think didn't expect. One of the things that I've heard a lot of awesome feedback is uh, the the tool that allows you to go to a state and look at browse, look at foods, all this different intel, deer population, all this stuff that you kind of have to search for in a lot of different places. And that seems to be the central theme of this app is a, a do it in do it all in one Swiss Army tool. But unlike a Swiss Army tool, which kind of gets you by in a pinch. This app really focuses, and this is my perspective, and you can correct me if you think otherwise, it really focuses on doing all of those individual components really, really well. Did I misspeak? No, you got that 100% correctly, and that's exactly what we're trying to do. I'm trying to isolate every veil, every variable in a hunter's equation, anything that, that contributes to that calculus, and then at least presenting something that helps them answer the mail when it comes to you know everything up to prior planning, scouting, and then the execution of the hunt. So I, I kind of said this, I had done an interview with Outdoor Life like a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things I, that I kind of came up with by the, on, on the fly there, but I think it's pretty apropos, um, is that the, the point of the app is not to replace scouting. It's just to make scouting smarter so that the hunter can save his or her time leading up to the actual execution of the event. Because like we said, I think it was maybe before we started the podcast, but everybody here's got like either a husband or a wife and kids, and um, it, you know you want to spend as little time away from those people as possible, but you also you know need to do what you need to do to keep yourself sane. So if I can help by saving people some scouting tips, or saving them some information about the land that they hunt, or maybe the best days to hunt, you know we're I'm averaging right now with we have a little under four thousand users, and right now I'm averaging about a message every day or two where someone's putting a big buck on the ground and saying they just like gave blind faith to the application and just let it play out and they listened to it and they ended up killing a good deer. So all those things make me pretty happy. And that's really the point of this whole thing is just give people some of their time back 
We're not trying to get it so they don't have to scout. We're just trying to make the scouting smarter. So let's let's talk about that because you you tied in nicely with what I think is the biggest question that we receive, and that is how to take this tool and apply it to them. So you have three uh, three main uh, predictions. You have the core area CA, which you'll see in the app, travel uh, area or transition area rather I should say, which is TA, and then FR, which is full range. And yep. one of the I, this has got to be the most asked question that I get literally all the time is what does that mean for me and to a certain extent this is going to require the the hunter to know what those areas look like for them but can you maybe give them a, a jump start in that in that process absolutely and I and actually when that full, full production app comes like I'm actually using uh you probably can't see it but like there will be these cards next to the prediction that kind of show you it's tough to see but it'll essentially show you an entire deer's range um, so like you'll get, you probably can't see it. So it's probably useless to show, but I'm actually, I've got the production app right here. So <clears throat> essentially what it'll show you is it'll show you a whole deer's range. It'll show you everywhere that a deer has been tagged with a GPS collar in a specific area. And then it gives exemplars of when the machine, uh, recognized movements that were in transition area, movements that were in core area and movements that were in full range. And then does the same thing with pattern. So by the time this podcast comes out, um, that'll be part of the production app. So you'll get your prediction and then next to it, there'll be like a little eye um, up in the corner and you can't see it. I'm sorry, I keep trying to show you, but you can't see it. Um, there'll be a little eye up in the corner that essentially allows you to kind of understand it. But the best way, um, I, I, I've been using some analogies as I talk to folks. I'm sorry to rehash one, but I think they function pretty well as far as explaining to people what the application does. So I use analogies. I'm pretty heavy with those things. So for, for your movement, um, say you're trying to, say you're targeting me and you want to kill me. If you're getting like a core area prediction, what you basically need to be doing is hunting me in my house or in and around my house, very close to my house. So bedding areas specifically are what you need to be focusing on if you know bedding areas for deer on core area predictions. Because people are always like, like what are, people always ask, what are the good predictions and bad predictions? And it's really, that question is heavily dependent on how well do you know the deer that you're hunting. So if you don't, haven't done a ton of scouting or you don't have a ton of time off season and you don't know where the deer that you're hunting are bedding, then you may want to stay out of the woods on like a core area prediction day. Because basically what that means is the deer are going to be spending the daylight hours, hours where you could be able to hunt them in and around their homes. So from that analogy standpoint, if you're hunting Bill Thompson or somebody like me, you need to be focusing on the house. In other words, you need to know where I live. Um, and you might be able to pop me when I come out the front door, but you need to know what door I'm coming out of. In other words, how people, how this deer is exiting its bed. And that relates to pattern. So um, one way to think about it is the pattern is for, for core area prediction, if you have abnormal um, pattern, what that basically means is the deer will be exiting its bedding in a way that is not, it's not expected or it's not the way that they normally do it in the past. So you could think about that as, if Bill Thompson usually leaves his house and walks out the front door every day, that would be my normal pattern. And then maybe I take like a main highway to work. So that would be my normal pattern. I get out of my, come on my front door and I leave and I travel this main highway to get to work. But then maybe on days where there's bad traffic, you could think of that as being like a day where the wind is weird or the thermals don't generate because of the cloud cover or whatever. Now I take an alternate pattern. So now maybe I'm driving through neighborhoods instead of taking the highway and although I do it maybe 20% of the time, it's now my abnormal pattern because it's not something that I normally do. With, so with deer, it could be maybe you know 
on your particular property where there's like a finger where deer bed, you know, maybe there's two or three of them. And then there's one with some deadfall and that's where your bucks bed. And maybe generally when they leave those fingers, they head west towards a field and they enter the field from the east and then they feed you know, across the field to the west. If that's what they generally do or when you glass them and you have an understanding using deer cameras or whatever, if that's generally their pattern, they select that pattern because of the way that the sun works and, and provides thermal generation. It's chosen that pattern because of the way that the wind works along them the scent check areas before they enter them. It has to do with cloud cover. It has to do with wind direction. It has to do with relative humidity. It has to do with barometric pressure. And it has to do, there's a ton of things that factor into it because all of them allow the deer to, to essentially wind and have that, that peace of mind or that safety or you know apparent peace of mind before they move into an area. So in that analogy standpoint, it's the same thing for me. If I'm choosing other than my normal way to work, that'd be my abnormal pattern. And so core area, you need to be close to the bedroom. Transition area is you can think of that. The easy way to think of it is, is like if you're hunting a buck. You can think of it as, you know, maybe it's a scrape line or a rub line when they're leaving their bedroom. In other words, you could set up along one of those and still expect to see them during daylight hours in their transition or along a, tra a physical transition line. Maybe there's where some pines meet up to like a clear cut and there's some growth there, you know, that's called transition. So as they leave their bedding area, maybe where there's thick cover and they're moving towards that transition, you could set up along that to see them during, you know, daylight hours. And uh, then there's the full range movement. And essentially full range just means um, anywhere that we've taken a GPS um, fix for this deer, they can be found anywhere in that distribution of points um, at any time of the day. And the, the, the example I always use for people is, if you're driving by a field where you never see deer, but then you're driving by there one day at like 2.30 or 3 p.m. and there's a ton of deer in that field, the machine would categorize that as a full range day. In other words, the deer are you know, moving more and more aggressively and spending more time on the hoof than they normally would. Um, and the machine is very good at predicting those things. From a human perspective, if the analogies aren't clear, core range prediction, if you're hunting a human, would be that the house. And then uh, the transition area prediction would be, you know, you could catch them on the way to work or you could catch them in between destination and, and, and their bedding. And then full range means like, you know, you catch that deer anywhere, you could catch that human anywhere. It could be that human could be at the mall, that human could be, you know, driving to the mall, it could be at a food court, it could be at school, it could be at the gym, it could be at the club on the weekend. That's the full range. It could be found anywhere in there. So um, certainly if you don't know the deer that you're hunting, uh, you may want to wait for like a transition area or a full range day to hunt those deer because you're less likely, you're more likely to see them during ethical hunting hours and you're less likely to educate them. Um, especially if you're hunting an area where you know there's good deer. If it's a core area day and you're not on their bedding, all they're going to do is smell where you were when you were up in that tree as they walk by your area. So if you don't know the deer, then certainly full range or transition is probably what you want to wait for if you're going to go to an area. But if you know the deer quite well, then there's no reason that you can't hunt a core area day. So, so let's break down full range just a touch further. And this is building on that is the, the pinging of the deer movement in that field at two o'clock. You was the example that you use. I think is it, is the app predicting the likelihood it's anywhere in that range during daylight or just that day? Uh, so we, we, calculate for what's called exposure so an exposure is a is a is reflective of during daylight hours so 
it, it, it could be found, you know, that, that, like I said, that's that you're driving by a field and you see some deer in a field and you're like, wow, I never see deer in that field. If the machine were calculating for that, I would say it's a full range day. So gotcha. you're most likely time, like that is most likely to be the time when you're going to see deer anywhere in their range. But I always add this um, explanatory piece here where when you're talking about pressured deer or pressured bucks or just your trophy class bucks, generally on a full range day, what you're going to see is they're just changing their beds more and they might be leaving their bedding area a tiny bit more earlier than they normally would. But it certainly does not mean you're going to see 170 class deer in the middle of a cornfield at noon. Like it's full range for that, for, for bucks. And we do find that, and I'm guessing, and I don't know, and I always say this about podcasts, I'm not a biologist, but on full range prediction days, how I measure success with bucks are, and it's quite, it, it, it's, it's quite accurate. If a buck generally changes a bed five to seven times in the afternoon on a, on like a transition or a core area day, then on a full range day, we're probably going to see 9, 10, 11, 12 bed changes. So you probably still need to get to that mature deer's core area if you want to see it. Doesn't mean you, you, you won't see it out in the middle of the field. You're just less likely to than you would any other deer in the field. But it's still the best day to hunt those types of deer. So when someone's like, hey, I've got a, uh, if someone were to ask me, how do I use this for mature bucks? I would say, if you know where those mature bucks are bedding, still wait for like a full range day because they're they're going to be moving more often than they normally would which in my experience whenever you're especially on public land going after like a really mature animal um the difference between seeing that deer and not seeing that deer is because it's changed its beds its bed three or four more times than it normally would in the afternoon and so that's it's exploring more of its core area so what you need your challenge is to get as close to that core area as possible um, and, and the days I would do that are on full range days. It, it's interesting because I think there's probably always going to be, and this is a challenge I think that I've articulated to you is the application of the individual using this app is always going to influence how they, they how, what their experience is with results to, with correlation to what you predicted. And what you just said is kind of the opposite of what I do, or I've had a lot of success with. Um, I killed, or I pulled the trigger four times last year. I recovered three of the deer, all of which were on transition area days. But I was like a hundred yards from bedding in each of those instances, and I was banking on the fact that they would be more willing to move during, you know, during that daylight right outside that bed. No, um, I mean I, I still think you're right. Like they'll still move on transition area days more than they normally would. And it sounds like it was successful for you on those transition area days. Um, all I'm saying is for the person who's like, I have limited time or I have gotcha. resources or, you know, I'm trying to make sure, cause I've built this thing with like the guy, like my father was a, was a welder and a farmer. And he might, if he was lucky, he had seven days off a year. So I'm thinking of that guy okay. and, and, or that gal who might have seven days a year. What I'm saying is if you've done the scouting, you've done all of the prep, you know where these deer are. I would wait for the full range days if I were you. But if you have those days where you can hunt transition, by all means, do it. And, and you're not going to, I don't think you risk anymore by doing those transition area days. All I'm saying is um, for the person with limited amounts of time, I, I would suggest the full range days. Okay. So uh, staying on the same 
uh, note, I'm kind of going through the comments as we go that way. We don't bounce back and forth between topics. John asks an interesting question. He says, um, oh, Lord, I just, okay. Uh, right now, there are three categories of movement. Obviously, each day has a range of movement. Have you considered using a slider bar instead of the three categories? And what he's saying is a range of something like zero to 10 so that you had a little more of a scale for how good a full range data is versus how bad it may be. Yeah, so the, the, so the problem with using like a slider that gauges at one to 10 is in machine learning, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get the accuracy and the recall of the models to be as accurate as possible. And what basically what that would require me to do is it require me to change from three buckets of possible outcomes to like 10 buckets of possible outcomes, which is inherently gonna lower the accuracy. So um, I can do it that way, but then I guess my opposite question back to that person, and since we're having a dialogue here, by all means type it, it's like, what would you do different between a seven and an eight day? Or what would you do different between a six and a seven day? And these are questions that I went through with the pro staff and they had kind of said those things in the first place, but then when it all kind of got broke down and people thought about it, they were like, yeah, I mean, if we're, at, or if we're talking about 70% accuracy across three buckets, versus 20% accuracy or 10% accuracy against 10 buckets, I guess I'd rather take the three buckets and know that that deers and it's, in other words, on the full range days, you're in the highest quadrant of, or I'm sorry, triumvirate of, um, of movement, which for a lot of people, I think is pragmatically more applicable because myself, I don't know what I would do with an eight day versus a nine day like that, but they both sound awesome to me. I don't know um, but also I'm not, my model won't be as accurate across those 10 buckets um, until I get more data. So as we get more data, like we're probably going to go to five buckets either by the end of the year or over the summer, because we've gotten a significant amount more data. Like we just, we just brought on some, uh, the MSU, um, uh, Bronson Strickland and uh, um, Steve Demarius um, just joined like our uh advisor staff, advisory staff, and they're both biologists, along with some guys from Auburn, some guys in Texas. And we're going to be getting data um, from a multitude of places as a result of that. And I think we're probably going to be able to get to five buckets. So those five buckets will be like very low, low, medium, high, very high. Um, and if we can get there and still have good accuracy, then we'll do it. So John, John commented, he said the impact to hunting probably wouldn't change, but it would be a curious, curiosity and an excitement thing. Um, John is a, is a very highly technical data-oriented person, so I could totally see how that would sit. You know, he, he spends a lot of time behind a desk, and I could see him looking forward to the weekend and really want to kind of pick, pick that apart for sure. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, I'm just trying to one of the things that ends up happening with people, or maybe I should just say with people like myself is I suffer from analysis from paralysis or a paralysis from analysis. So then my think, like I start thinking of like, you know, you know, 10 buckets, how do I tell people across 10 buckets that deer are going to be in their core areas? Like what, like, what do I say? Very, very tight core to their tight, tight core areas. And how does that differ from tight to their core area? So these are like, and by all means, we're going to try to get more buckets and more accuracy. But one thing I'm not going to do is try to make the data say something that it doesn't. And I predict very well across three buckets right now, like exceedingly well. But as we add more data, if we can predict against more buckets, we, we will by all means bucket it more. But I want to make sure I'm respectful 
um, of everyone. And, and I'm not saying this is what he was suggesting, but I also don't want to turn this into something where um, it looks like it's a novelty or it's something that's just like, you know, mm -hmm. I, to be honest with you, I've tested the other prediction apps out there and they're all, I won't say them by name, but all the ones that I've tested, you're better off making your own guess. <laughs> the number and I and I can demonstrate that. Like and maybe it's something we do on a on a private Patreon channel like this. Yeah. I wouldn't do it on a public one because I'm not that type of guy. I think it comes off as petulant. But like on a private one, you know, if a, if 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 there are four possible buckets, that model products at 25%. And that's just how these models, these ones out there are. And basically what's that mean? What that means is they're as good as rolling the dice. Um, and, and what I don't want to do is waste people's time by giving them something that's that watered down. No, that makes sense for sure. Um, yeah, we're, we're not going <laughs> to, Graveyard, I appreciate that comment, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep the names out of this one since it's going to be forward facing. Um, I know several people are doing exactly what you're talking about. In fact, one of one of the most uh, close, one of my closest friends who's watching very closely, he he's using four or five of them and he is like, he doesn't get to hunt at all this year. He's, he's stuck, you know, between jobs and moving. And so this is how he's living his life is, is, uh, you know, playing with your app and having fun doing it. Um, there was a question that related to this and I think we can move on to a difference. Oh, Craig, here he goes. Do you think that on transition and full range days, you would see more movement in major and minor solar patterns? I'm sorry. You kind of cut out there. at the Sure. End. Let me get to the, I think I can see these questions. Right? Yeah, you can. It's the third from the bottom, I believe. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with my mouse. It's losing its mind right now. Maybe it needs to be charged up, but um, let's see. I'll just use this thing. Okay. Um, you said third from the top? Third from the bottom. Okay. So by Craig, 858. Okay. Do you think the transition in four-inch days, you see um, more movement in major and minor? Um, so, so I, okay, so I am not going to say that I can't, I'm not going to say that may, that, that Salooner data doesn't have an impact on movement. I see some impact with the moon and the amount of um, what do you call it exposure or how bright the moon is at night or if it's heavy cloud cover um, and it's a full moon versus light cloud cover. I see some difference in movement, but not a ton. And it's also very regional. And I think it has more to do with the amount of brightness that the moon is casting and how well the deer see versus being a full moon and like affecting it like the waves would. But I've also had kind of in the last year or so, some of these presuppositions like that one I just spoke about have kind of changed as I got more data. Right now, I'm not getting, um, right now I'm not seeing a lot of impact from, you know, the moon overhead, moon underfoot, the solar lunar data. There's not a ton of impact, there's a sum but there hasn't been enough for it for us to say conclusively that, that it's do that, that it has an effect. So um, now again, I, you know, I have about twice as much data right now as I had last year and it could be, I've doubled my data by next year. And then I do see something because as we added data over this last year, we started to see more stuff with, you know, nights with a clear moon where the transition from moonlight to daylight was less obvious. We would see litter feeding for instance. Um, later, you know, deer staying out um, longer than they normally would because I think, because again, I'm not a biologist, but my guess is that they're not recognizing the transition from, from moonlight to sunlight like they normally do. It's not as apparent to them. So they might stay out feeding in a field later than they normally would, which has them 
intrinsically moving back to their beds later than they normally would. But again, I'm not, I can't confirm that. So sure. I got you. John says, thanks for faithfully following the data. So you made his day there for sure. Um, Graybeard, Graybeard says that if you need an extra pixel, his he will gladly donate his work phone for you. <laughs> oh my goodness, those things <laughs> killing me. He he also goes on to say, FYI, the weather feature kicks ass. Uh, just spent a week in, in Kentucky, and the wind shifts were spot on. In fact, he sent me a direct uh, video message earlier and really praised it. He said every app he used was off, but yours was spot on every day. Um, he, he is slow to praise, I think. He, definitely a, a winning endorsement there. One oh, question, I really appreciate that. Yeah. What, one question that he, he postulated, and this is shifting, I think, from the transition area. Uh, if you guys have questions about that still, let me know. We can maybe work those back in. But he said, one issue I ran into um, when I changed location and then tried to update the forecast, it would get stuck loading, and I would just have to wait until the morning. I know that's something that you've been working on, so I wanted to give you a chance on that. Yeah, so basically we have some instances where some states we're not getting the data to load as quickly as um, we want, and, and sometimes it just gets bogged down. There was, some, there was some stuff we had to change about environments. So like a lot of times behind the scenes, what we're doing is we're shifting environments. As we're testing new in, um, features of the application, we shift from like a production environment to an, an integrated environment, and it goes back and forth. And sometimes what we're not doing is, is we're not updating all the environments correctly, um, and that's what's happening. You know, unfortunately, everyone who's talked so far has been dealing with the beta testing. So we're not always as quick as we should be on getting everything updated. So that's why some people are experiencing lag. That shouldn't happen on the production one because everything's going to be wired up perfectly. So um, that's kind of what, that's one of the reasons why we're, you know, it's going to probably be that people are paying, you know, in about a week or two, the app's probably going to be 45 or 50 bucks for people to download because everything will be buttoned down at that point. But the reason we're giving it to a lot of people here probably paid $19.99 for it or $29.99 at the most is because we knew we were going to have those types of problems during this beta time. So we, I do want to thank everyone for their patience while we were doing this testing and updating things. You know, we're a team of three guys, but, um, you know, compared to some companies where they've got 70 or 80 people working on this, um, we, uh, I think we moved pretty quickly and we got it all updated, but again, that's why we made it cheaper for people. So, um, hopefully they'll be more patient knowing, you know, four or five years from now, they will have paid into our application, what they might pay for one year from our competitors. Plus we're giving them a lot more feature set. You know, when you think about the historical weather, the property data for all 50 states, the journaling data, the prediction, um, you know, the Blue Force tracker stuff that's hopefully going to be on about a month, customized imagery. And then we're about to do an another two more imagery drops here in about a month that are going to blow people's pants off. So I'm hoping that by the time they see all of that, they'll be like, holy crap, Mike. I'm hoping that everyone will be super glad they participated in the beta um, by the time, you know, December 1 rolls around. So... I'm going to give the nod to John one more time. He says, uh, before we get off the range topic, would you be willing to list the correlation coefficients for each variable in some index in the app? It'd be really cool to understand movement. I understand some of these items might not be so binary. I said that all without stuttering, and that's all I have to contribute to this. Um, I mean, so that would be, we would, I would, 
I would probably need 10 or 15 minutes to explain that in a way that it needs to be explained. So what I can do is I can write him a private message and go through some of that stuff, but then also some of it, I just don't want to share publicly. Sure. Um, but I would be willing to, he's, if he, these are all your Patreons, right? All of them are my Patreon. Yeah. I'd be willing to have like a one-on-one -on -one conversation with him and kind of explain some of that stuff to him. And then a lot of things too, that I would explain there. Um, a lot of people who just don't have training in statistics, I would bore them pretty quickly. Um, so I'm happy to do like a private message with him and let him know that stuff as long as he can keep it between us. Yeah, no, I, and I think everybody in this group would gladly keep it keep it confidential. We've got a really group, good core group of guys. What I'll do is um, I'll just share your email, yep. perhaps if you're yeah, and then they can just message you uh, directly. Um, so some of the things, let's see, I had a couple comments about the app, about some things that might be coming from the app, and that'll tie into the Blue Forest Tracker and stuff like that because I want to talk about that because I think this is really important. Um, let me scroll back up here as people add stuff that's popping back down. Let's see. Okay, so this has to do with the functionality of the rut component. And in the South, I am certain you're getting bombarded with people who are not seeing the rut predicted the way that they would expect it to be. Um, I know that that is based off of real data that, you, that, you, that you're given. Um, are you considering uh, the, the possibility of adding a custom estrus cycle so that it can personalize it for people in that area? Yeah, so we that that is something I haven't thought about, but I definitely can do for people. The other thing is we are going to be changing some dates now that we've gotten some new and updated science on. I don't know if there are some of your supporters or other channels where some people have reached out to me about Alabama stuff. Yep. Uh, and some people have reached out to me about Florida, I believe, and I assume those are for, for sure your people. But we will be updating those shortly. If they're not going to be updated in the first release, they'll be updated in the second one. Um, but then also what we're going to do is there's a couple of things we're going to do that I can get into later that will essentially allow people that are kind of like in our trusted groups of people. Um, right now, like Walter, you're on um, a couple of our channels on Slack, yep. which are kind of like our founding fathers of, you know, it's where all of our, you know, all the people who are in there. So there's all yep. kinds of great deer hunters in there and we're adding some more here pretty soon. Um, where when they're like, hey, you're off here, what we can do is we can add that and then crowdsource it and see if people upvote or downvote the dates and we can start getting more accuracy that way because a lot of the academic data that we have is down to the county level, but then a lot of the dates split in counties. Um, so we are adding resolution there and certainly I've, I've gotten a couple of dates where I know that there was data collected and for instance, it would be from the northern part of the county. And then someone would be getting to us and saying, hey, we think your dates are wrong here. Then I'd ask them where they live and they live in the southern part of the county. And you can have a date that's a month different, like in one county. You can have a like 15 October and then a 15 November rut date. So yeah, long answer to say we're going to be updating those. And then we'll also allow people to upvote and downvote those things that are kind of like in a trusted group. But we just get the need, need to get the app in enough people's hands that we can kind of parse out the noise and make sure that we're only getting quality recommendations on those on those things. Um, but unfortunately, the other part here is I tried to get all of those dates only from scientifically peer-reviewed peer data, and I stuck with that. Um, and wh while it's served me in probably 90% of the areas, it hasn't served me in about 10% of the areas um, for a couple of reasons. The first reason being it was a different part of the county and the resolution needed to be more than the county or deer were stocked after the scientific studies that were done. It's like a lot of my studies and dates were like in the eighties 
mm. um, that I found. And although those deer rut dates don't really change, like those deer will still rut and during those same times, um, more deer get, in, um, get introduced in places like Texas and Florida um, and Louisiana from the Northern states. And then those deer affect those rutting dates because they're coming with like a programming from the North. And so it changes those things. All of those are a lot of excuses to say, I'm gonna be updating those and, and getting more of that in there. And it's simply a cycles thing for me. If I get you a list of a very targeted number of WMAs, what would it cost me to get false rut data put in like two months in advance so I could have the woods to myself? Is that an option coming down the pipe or? Yeah, I mean, again, let's talk about that after the call. Okay, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> Okay, so coming down to uh, improvements that are coming, everybody in this group is well aware that this app is evolving, that things are coming, and I think some of this is just an eagerness, and I happen to know that a lot of these things are things that you're going to address. Um, one of the, the obvious questions is, are there plans to import, export pins uh, coming, coming you know, from other apps or to other people? Yep, so um, the first feature that will be is there'll be intra-app sharing of pins, and uh, we're going to make it very easy to do that inside of the app. Um, and in fact, you'll be able to do it like, you know, you can even have like a Patreon group where you're, where everyone in the Patreon group is sharing pins it'll happen automatically. Um, and then as far as sharing from other apps, we're doing the online version of the application of the web app right now. Um, and it's another thing we're working on in the background. I imagine that that version will be ready sometime in mid December. And then at that point, you'll have the functionality to import your points from other apps and load them into the Spartan Forge app. Um, and so, you know, about another month and a half or so, we hope people will be able to do that. Understand that we had to prioritize things. I know people probably want to import a lot of that stuff right now. But again, for us, it's just in order to keep the price low and to keep the integrity of the prediction um, and, the, and the integrity of the other features that we've been talking about, it's uh, imperative that we keep the company small so that we are not um, at the behest of you know, external externalities that we're not in control of um, and that we can focus on truly what people want. So it's kind of like a, it's, it's a give and take. Well, and that's something I've always encouraged people from day one, every interaction I get, I, I have, I can attest, you know, I've said this all the time. I'm sure people are tired of hearing it. When we work with individuals, it, it has to be a guilt-free endorsement. We have got to feel confident in putting our name with someone else. And in watching you guys very systematically and efficiently address the issues and rolling this thing out, I think you, it has helped inspire confidence that something that's very complex doesn't turn into this just horrendous pile of sticks that just un, 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 impossible to untangle. And, you know, the downside to that is it takes more time. The upside to that is by the time it gets to people, it's going to be right. And I knew that was going to be the case with you from the, start, from the jump. I never had any doubt. Um, but it has been interesting to watch you prioritize all the different feedback items that come back and just knock them out one after the other. It's been, it's been really cool, dude. Yeah. I mean, so we're going to add like one of the points of contact here. I think I can illustrate for people to kind of make this understood pretty quickly is I had to make a decision between that. I want to get public land data and, um, crop data or measuring stuff on first. And I thought to my, and, and that was like a conversation I had to have with the pro staff and everyone else. And Walter, you probably saw the chats going back and yep. forth. And it's like, we're going to do measuring tools here in a couple of weeks, but it, it had to be okay before the release. 
do, do we need measuring tools or people need to know if they're on public land or public private land and that type of thing. And so we, we chose a priority. We prioritize the land mapping stuff um, and it's still in its infancy. That's gonna be you know, upgraded majorly here pretty soon. But what that did was it put measuring tools like you know, line distance, which you kind of get from this, there's a scale in the top corner. So if you kind of like line it up with the scale, you can get an idea. But to get like the exact measurement and stuff like that, um, that you know, fell down to the bottom. And it's simply because you know, we've got you know, less than a starting basketball team working on these features um, and, and rolling them out. So it's not an excuse, just the reality of the situation. Well, and, and I, I realized that I just, I just skipped something really important that you talked about a minute ago. And before we move to this next topic, I want to just touch upon it. You know, you talked about the guy that's got limited time um, and how this tool interacts with them. I've also found that if you're not a guy that necessarily has limited time, because I've got a fair amount of time when my kid is sleeping at night, um, when you're breaking down new pieces of property, it helps you make those educated guesses. I'm not going to name or show the spot, but I sent you direct messages floored because your predictive models told me as of this time of year, I was able to align it with the dates of the map, what the predominant wind was, and very obvious deer pattern was moving. I mean, you could just literally see the movement of the deer going right into that dominant wind. And none of the other mapping softwares that I had had that ability, dude. And it was just, it's one of those things where I suffer from analysis from paralysis, like you mentioned, but those tools, as, as, as simple as they were in their application, gave me the ability to say, okay, if I ever see a, a, a northwest wind, my butt is going to be in that lone tree that, that's, that's out there in that field because it is very clear bedding going to transition and, and they're going to be moving. So I, I, think, you're, I think you're crushing it, man. Um, yeah, I, thing, mean, I think that's kind of like an unsung feature. Like it's there and I think people know it's there. But I really use that polar plot, that windrows, yeah. to guide my cyber scouting because just like you said, I will use it to look for areas where deer will be using that prevalent wind to their advantage in this like specific area or corridor. Or this is the only way you can navigate, you know, north to south here with this type of wind. And I let that guide my cyber scouting to look for those. So instead of instead of finding choke points and then waiting for the white right wind. I find choke points that correlate with the right wind, right. if that makes sense. Right. So I scout all of these areas and I'm like, okay, if it's, if in this part of Florida, you know, the predominant wind in the fall is east, west, southeast, you know, I'm going to scout every piece of land until I find one where that east, southeast has like two or three areas on that land. So it's kind of a flip because I feel like most people visually go to the maps and they look for the choke points and they look for mm -hmm. the the cover and the deadfall and the, all of that stuff. And then they wait for the right wind. It's like, okay, I use the polar plot so that I'm finding places where that wind is, is, is I can take advantage of it more often than I can, so. Well, I think that ties into how, how they use the predictive component of this too, right? Like we talked about how the hunter has to know what he's doing. Well, if you don't know what you're doing and you have this tool that helps you predict it because I'm the guy, I'm visual and I just like, I pin shotgun map hit the map and it's like every every pinch point possible i hit it and then i took that tool and i went by month to month and i was like well none of these are ever going to be favorable for me because i can't get into those areas without it being an unfavorable win i just deleted all those pins because there was no point absolutely no point for me being in there and so you, you, the when the where it all start you know it all kind of starts to tie in together man it's 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 beautiful awesome i'm glad to hear that 
Um, okay, so let's talk about this custom imagery imagery thing. Um, I know you said you have a new upload coming with new satellite imagery. In some of the areas I'm, I am, the imagery is out of this world good. In other areas, it's still really good, but it, it, it could use some love. Can you touch on both of those, both the new up maps coming in, what the custom would look like? Yeah, so I, I won't issue timelines because I've learned my lesson. But <laughs> I believe, you know, within the next six weeks, a majority of the areas will have historical imagery on hand that's very crisp. And then we're probably going to add, we're probably going to double our high res imagery. And then all of the areas where we've had like imagery that's comparable with other companies, um, it's going to take a step up and get better than those comparable other com companies. So that's kind of, I guess the major point there is um, a lot of the historical imagery um, is going to be added. And then in about a month, maybe longer, maybe six weeks, um, you'll be able to order your own customary custom imagery, um, either. And now I'll be clear about the custom imagery, about the ordering piece of the imagery. Um, and I can actually kick you a couple of images if you want to share them. I don't know if I'm allowed to share on here or not, but yeah, um, no, you should have those permissions. Okay. Let me just locate this, this imagery while we're talking. And then I'll, I'll kind of explain to you exactly what I'm talking about here. Sounds good. So, um, I guess I guess the best way to say it is the imagery that you can order and that you can download um, that's on demand will be your own imagery that you will own. But it won't be. It's not going to be like our high res imagery where it's perfect and crisp and clear. But it it is imagery that I think you're going to be able to learn a lot more from. And what I mean by that is, and I'm just trying to look for this bucket of images that I just ordered from this company. Actually, you know what? They'll be in my downloads. But basically what you'll be able to do is um, the imagery has two things going for it. Obviously, it's on demand. So if you're in an area where even on our app where we've prioritized leaf off imagery, it's just not possible everywhere. You'll be able to get that leaf off imagery if you want it. And for, you know, 100 or 200 acres, the price point will be like 20 bucks, 15 bucks. But that's your imagery from the day that you want it from, and it's uh, you'll have it, you know, as long as you have the application. But the second thing about it is, is that the imagery is sun synchronous, mostly sun synchronous. And what I mean by that is, when the sun's in the middle of the sky, a satellite will be in between the sun and the earth. And what that does for you, for you from an imagery standpoint, is it allows you to see everything on the ground, and every little path, every little cut, every little trail that is on in that area. Will be in it will be um, evident to you because of the of the way that the imagery is taken. So I can share. I don't know if, how I let me see if I can share. Found the imagery while I was jaw jacking. So I'm gonna share my screen. Go screen two. Share. Can you see my screen? Oh yeah. So what I mean here is the two things are like this is imagery that I ordered for an area that I hunt and there were like four or five cuts put in um, and none of the other imagery that's locally that is available out there, none of these cuts, can you see my cursor? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like this cut here, this cut here, none of those were are available. So you're seeing those, but then you're also seeing all of this clear air, all of these cleared areas and all of these trails that you can't see in any other imagery because if the camera, if the camera on the airplane or the satellites at any kind of angle, then the trees obfuscate every all of the all of the trails and stuff that are on the ground and make them very difficult to see. And then the other thing that you can get from this imagery is you can get your own on-demand 
um, NVDI data. And what this dark green is basically telling, telling you is that there's canopy and what the light green is telling you is, is there's clear ground. So now you can see with this NVDI data everywhere where the sun touches the ground. Um, and that's super, super, super important when you're talking about finding like buck bedding, like in areas like this, where you wouldn't, might not see that on a map, you can see that this is an area where the sun is touching the ground. If the sun's touching the ground, that means there's ground cover. And if there's ground cover, there's transition. And if there's transition, there's bucks. So um, this is, would not be obvious on a lot of other maps. And it basically what it allows you to do is um, see the ground. Like if you see, as you zoom in here, you can see these trails. If you were to go to the same area on um, Google Maps or any of the other mapping programs, you would not see that trail because there's an incidence angle. Right. And the trees, you just can't see it in the trees. But because this is directly over top, what you're not seeing is you're not seeing a ton of shadows and you're not seeing, um, you're seeing every path that's been cut into the ground. Like these are logging trails. These are not roads. Right. And you can't see these on any other app. So I don't know about your other, about the people on this Patreon group, but I can't tell you, like on, on my area um, where I hunt, in fact, I probably could, could share it. There are three logging trails on there that I didn't even know existed. Um, and until I ordered my own custom imagery of the area, I, I had no idea that, that, that those images were there. And I guess while I'm sharing this, I'll quickly show you guys um, one other file here while we're doing this. <laughs> while here, is, that here is, oops, now you're looking at my retirement pay here. Okay, there we go. <laughs> so this is, these are all of the movement points for a deer. Um, I plotted these on Google Earth. But what basically what you're looking at is the machine identifies all of these red ones as, as bedding or core area. It, it identifies all of these yellow ones as transition, which is in between bedding and destination. And then the green ones are the full range. So every pot on this map is the deer's full range. The red ones are bedding. In other words, if you get a if you get a core area prediction day, you better be somewhere along this oh. covering area. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're getting a transition, you better be somewhere. You can or not better be. You can be anywhere where the red or the yellow is, or in between them, and expect to see deer. If you get a full range day, it's like this. And then for this deer's pattern, if you you can see my cursor, right? Yep. This deer's normalized pattern is to leave bedding here, come out and send check this field with a northwest wind, and then enter the field and move east. And then circle back around and come back to its bed. Well, actually, it comes back down here and then back up to its bed and send checks its bed before it goes back. This is a buck. And then its secondary pattern is to leave out going to the east. And you can see this is its transition to the east, move up into this field, and then up into this main part up here, and then back down. And then its abnormal pattern is to travel south or very abnormal pattern. So that just kind of gives you like a visual representation of the types of prediction. In other words, if you were, hunt if you were hunting this deer because you the machine got its data and it gave you a transition day, you should be somewhere here. If it's transition and abnormal, you should be somewhere in here. If it's, tra if it's, if it's transition and it's normal, you should be somewhere in here. Now you wouldn't know this unless you scouted the deer. Right. You sat you know, on this road with, a, with some glass and you said, all right, you know, 70% of the time when I see this deer come out into the field, it comes out over here. And it always comes out over here when it's a northwest wind. And oh, by the way, the northwest wind is the predominant wind for this deer. <clears throat> so if the model 
we're predicting for this one, when the steer is moving over here, I would say, look, it's a transition day and it's a normalized pattern. So I, I hope that kind of contextualizes things for people. Um, but yeah, here's the normal pattern. This is how the machine predicts normal pattern. So it leaves out to the Northwest. Here's how the machine predicts abnormal pattern, moves out to the East, out to the field. Then here's how it predicts, this is a very abnormal pattern, core area transition heading to the South. So it hardly ever does this because in this particular area, it hardly ever gets a south wind. But when it doesn't get a south end, it heads south because it wants that wind in its face. Primarily, it's a northwest wind at this place. So when it's in its bedding with a northwest wind, generally what he does is he circles out this way and comes into the field. <clears throat> so I hope that, I, I guess I kind of went back there, but I didn't know I had these visuals here. I just found them while I was trying to show you guys something else. No, I, I think you touched on something that I intended on touching on. And people were trying, and that is people asking how to use the abnormal versus uh, normal components. I think they were correlating that with um, the travel area in the full range, i.e. if it's very abnormal, then it, it, it's abnormal for that deer to be in its full range. And what you're saying is it's an abnormal movement pattern the movement away pattern. from what, what is, 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 is commonly had by that animal. Yeah, so basically this deer's full, here's this deer's full range in this area. Now, mm -hmm. mind you, deer go to different areas. I had to take it from one screenshot from one area. Sure. In fact, I think this deer had like four major areas throughout the year that it spent its time in. But for the fall in this area, which I believe was in Minnesota, um, <clears throat> the primary wind here is northwest. So with that northwest wind, here's how the deer navigates its way to food at night. And with a northeast to east wind, here's how the deer navigates the field. And for a straight south wind, which is the most rare wind that time of year um, up in the Midwest, North Dakota, here's how it navigates. Gotcha. And then the colors are how the machine is tagging the types of movement. In other words, if the movement stays, if the movement for a particular day stays all here and eventually it moves out here, then the machine would say this is. This is a core area movement day with a very abnormal pattern. The physical pattern of the deer is very abnormal. Right. So I'm glad we went over that because maybe I contextualize some things for people now. No, Craig just, Craig just commented and said that's so clear. So I know you definitely answered some questions for people. I'm sure there's a bunch of folks chewing the fat on that one because I know that I have not been applying that quite as well myself. Uh, I'm thinking, again, thinking back to some of those areas that, that I'm breaking apart that are new. Um, that's cool, man. Greybeard says he's going to go broke looking, ordering custom imagery. <laughs> yeah, we hope to make it cheaper, but also um, the, the, there won't be served up historical imagery as well that you won't have to pay for. But all I'm saying is if all of the imagery that we're not providing you still doesn't fit the bill and you are a psycho like me and you don't have a problem spending 20, 40 bucks, you know, essentially what you'd spend on some fast food or a beer or something, to get that customized imagery for 100 or 200 acres, it becomes very tenable. Um, but then like I was ordering imagery for most of the public land in Northern Pennsylvania. And I think my ticket was something like 2,500 bucks. Um, so you can certainly spend money sure. doing it. But I mean, that in that case, I think I was ordering 7,000 square kilometers of imagery. So it's far different from what most people's use case would be for that. Well, and, and I think what you just said with the, the sun synchronous data is huge because the other apps that I have, 
I went into those areas and found trails all last year. I was, I, I really punched hard into Georgia this past year, trying to, you know, increase my season, my bag limit, everything. And I would be walking like, holy crap, there's a freaking old, it's a dim road, but it, there's a logging road that goes this direction. I had no idea there were roads that punched in there. And with the, with the, with the app, when you pull that up, uh, it is apparent, even with the current imagery, that there's roads running all through that stinking thing. And I, and I, I just missed a bunch of them. Yeah, and I'm pulling up more. So look, this is a really good example right here. If this imagery right here is from an area that I am setting up for the veterans hunt. And, mm -hmm. and I ordered it from one March, I believe this was. It's either one March or one November. I can't remember. It was one of the two. And it, but it was in this area where none of these trails are visible on any kind of normal mapping application. So you're not, what you're not getting is you're not getting the super you know clear tight imagery that you might get from some of our images but you what you are getting is anywhere that there's a trail on this land for the purposes of logging or anything else you're seeing wow and for a guy who's hunting in like mountain areas this is obscenely valuable yeah well and and, and with the compass tool being able to swap back and forth on the compass it, you could be doing your aerial scouting and then just swipe to this and be like oh there's the point of entry right like there's there's the path that, the, that they may be taking. I, I could see how that'd be beneficial for sure. Yeah, and it's just, so I went through and ordered all of this, all of these images in this area. And it's like, when you look at this area and I wish I had done it, I, I, next time I'll do it. But um, when you juxtapose this with like what you're seeing on like Google images, like you're not seeing any of this stuff. Yeah. Because it's just, it has to be right over top in order to see these things. So um, I hope that kind of, clears up what, what I'm saying about this imagery is, no, it's not the most, it's not the clearest, like you're not gonna be able to pick out individual trees really on the ground to hunt on, like right. you can with some of the imagery. But what you will not miss is you will not miss every little logging trail that was put in this place. And, and that really, when you see a place where many logging trails come together, like right here, where you have four coming together, there's gonna be a scrape there. Like no question, and especially in mountain hill country, when you have a place where many logging trails come together, you need to be looking for scrapes and putting a camera there. <laughs> Bill, you, you've been a hit. I just got a direct message that says we need to have Zoom classes more often. So <laughs> people yeah. are loving this, man, for sure. And, and Craig just touched on something that's hugely important. There's some of the areas that we hunt. In fact, we're having a Patreon hunt where anybody who's a patron of the show is welcome to join us for deer camp. Um, that area was hit by Hurricane Michael in 2018. There are no trees left. And I kept telling people before your app dropped, quit looking at X software. Those trees aren't there. Like there's nothing left. It's just, it's just sheer devastation. And so uh, Craig hit the nail on the head. He said some of these apps are using six to seven years old and, you know, it, it doesn't do you any good. It's, it's property boundaries at that point in time. Um, yep. and, and that's not that's not any good at all. And, and like I said, for like, you know, even if we don't have that imagery in our free paid for, like what we're giving everybody, right? you can 100%, I think we have coverage for 80% or 85% of the U.S. And so, and what I mean by that coverage is leaf off coverage. So you're going to be able to find your leaf off imagery from a hurricane and, you know, for probably 60 bucks, you can pick three of like seven or eight if, if the hurricane happened in 2018 you can get two or three of those years and have them displayed on the map temporally so you can sit there and look at how things changed pre and post hurricane which again it doesn't need to be the most 
high-res um, imagery, but it needs to show you where those new transitions are and where those new areas of opportunity are, where there's going to be undergrowth um, coming up as a result of those trees not holding vegetation and allowing the sun to get to the ground. Okay, so let's talk about Blue Forest Tracker. It's something we've talked a, a lot about. Um, I think it's something that people in this group are going to really love because we've created this network. I've said it before, it's digital deer camp. And these guys connect with other guys who hunt WMAs and hunt these blocks of timber. And I think Blue Forest Tracker is going to be something that kind of connects things for them, literally. <laughs> Go ahead yeah. and kind of take that away. Yeah, so there'll be two um, pieces on the first iteration of Blue Forest Tracker. There's going to be a lot more that I won't talk about just because I want to leave some of the surprises. But um, just kind of like I did with that, with the with the re release of the app, you know, I like to keep a couple of things in my hip pocket. But the major two pieces will be um, the the user case will be you'll start off by drawing a polygon around some points or an area, and then you can choose: Do I want to share all of these points one time? And then you just have to know that email, and the person has to have the app. Um, and like, say I want to share you some points or something, right? Or or, or maybe I'm coming down to hunt the WMA with you guys, and I just want to get a sense of the area. Well, you can go to that WMA and you can select all, you can drop polygon around all the points that you want to share, just pop my email in, and then I'll get an alert and I'll add them all to my map and they'll be right there. It'll be just like one time transaction. And, we're, and you can restrict certain points if you want to share them or whatever, but for the, for the most part, they're just going to automatically pop up on my user account as, as they're registered with my, you know, whatever email is registered with my map. And the second use case is um, you will turn, you will highlight an area and say now it's like, you, you, you know, myself, you, and uh, someone else, Charles and Craig have a, uh, a joint lease together, maybe, you know, somewhere in like Oklahoma or something that we can all get to. Um, and we all are going in there separately and scouting it. Um, what will happen is a person can just draw a polygon around that map and say, I want this to be constantly updating. They just select a, a different feature. And then the, the only person that can restrict points is the person who draws. So we have to make an assumption. The person who draws the area will be the only person that can restrict points or not share points. But everyone else who adds themselves to that will have to share their points when they go in there. And it's just, it's just a way to make sure that people aren't being dishonest, essentially, because the, the third use case, which I'll get into, it'll be more evident than why. But essentially, like if you own the lease or you're allowing us to hunt your land, then you can restrict certain points or restrict certain things. But everybody else is going in there. You as a landowner or you as a person who established the polygon will get updates when people go in there to hunt. And as people drop pins on the ground, um, those pins will be auto shared unless the now say I don't want say I find a honey hole on there and I just and, and you've allowed me to keep it a secret. Well, then you can restrict you as a landowner or you as the person who established the polygon can restrict that point so like you and I are the only people who see it. But for the most point part, everything that gets put on that map will be auto shared between everyone. Like the other use case here is, I've got like four or five buddies that I haven't hunted with at all this year, but we hunt like a 10,000 acre area in Western Maryland. And we're always sharing points because it's the, a massive piece of public land. And we're always trying to, everyone goes in there, scouts different time of year and everyone's in there. Um, we can, auto share points between each other but then also when we're out hunting together or in the case somebody wants to do a deer drive or whatever um, you can coordinate and see everyone where everyone is on the map and it'll be auto sharing and updating all of those things but then the last use case is for next year we're going to make a free version of the app just for landowners and essentially what will happen is if you're going to knock on doors looking for access you can tell the landowner like look you just download this free spartan forge landowners app and you can see anytime i'm in your backyard hunting 
And so if you don't want your son back there when I'm back there hunting or whatever, it's just a way to reduce the friction between landowners and um, sure. and hunters so that the landowners have a little bit more, uh, they feel safer and they feel like they're being stewards of the property. And then also like, you know, a lot of guys will get access and then go hunt somewhere they shouldn't be hunting. And then that creates problems for the person who gave them access. And what this does is, as long as everyone's an honest arbiter, it allows people to reduce the amount of friction between landowners and, and give them some peace of mind when they're allowing people access to the land to make sure that it's being used in the way it was intended to be used and that the hunters um, are respecting their property rights and the property rights of people around them. And I think it'll just be a good news story for um, the non-hunting community and for us to kind of become better ambassadors, um, especially as we are knocking on doors looking for access and doing these types of things. That's huge, dude. That landowner one's going to be a huge, especially the fact that it's free. That's going to be like uh, a huge comfort for a lot of people. I had, I had, um, and I hope to renew this, this, this agreement, but I had property that I used to hunt. And the guy was like, just text me whenever you come in and text me whenever you leave. And he didn't care when I was there. He just wanted to know he didn't need to go back there looking for me. It was, it was a safety component. And uh, Graybeard says uh, it, it's a huge it's a huge deal that uh, the safety that somebody has location, will it be like, will it be pinpoint if you want it to be where yeah, every five, with... so that the person who establishes it can say how often they want it to update. I think okay. we defaulted at every five minutes, but then, yeah, that's another good point. There is like, if you're on stand on my, say you're hunting my house at my house in the backyard, you're like, Oh, Bill, I just, you know, shot a big buck, six forty-five, and it's like nine, 50 right now and i'm like where the heck is walter it's like at least i'll know the last place where you were on the ground so right. if you have to go out and look for you or you know your phone goes dead or whatever or you fall out of a tree stand or whatever um it's gonna you know just give people that added layer of security i think um and then we're going to do more sexy stuff with that next year that we can get into on another podcast um there's just the sky's the limit with the other stuff that we're doing there that i think people will really be keen for no, I, I think that's going to be huge. And I can tell you right now, my wife worries about some of the places I go. And frankly, she probably should, if, if we're yeah. being honest about it. And I always send her a message like, hey, here's Brett's number or here is Bo's number. And if I go missing, they know the direction I went. They know the piece of property. But if I had the ability for them to get the call from my wife and suddenly go, well, let me see where he was as of five minutes ago. And you call the Mounties and send them right to that spot. You know, I mean, that's 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 huge. Um, yeah, and then we'll also add, it won't be on the first release, but it'll be in later releases for when you don't have data. Um, we will have, if you give the app access to your messages, it will just message automatically your lat long without you having to oh. do it. So what it'll do is just through the uh, SMS architecture of the network is a separate channel from data. So if you have no data, but you can still send messages, um, you'll be able to just say, hey, auto send my, um, my lat long in text form to somebody on the other end. Well, that's huge because that means you can use any app that you, that you need any application from a GPS to, to, to Google Maps to, to locate where that person is. That's, that's monstrous, dude. That's going to make my wife feel a lot better. And I'm sure my battery is going to suffer as a result. <laughs> well, hopefully not too bad. Like I said, it's about five minutes. Um, so, and, and we're going to make it maybe not right away, but later you can scale that down. Um, so that you're not sharing as often as you need to, especially if you like on that free version of the app, your wife can download that and use it in the same capacity. If, if she, you're not going to have service in a place where there's absolutely no service, before you know you're going to lose service, you can just say, this is the stand I'm going to be in tonight. Right. And you just click your stand of intent 
um, and then she'll get that as well. Oh man, that is I, I. There's a lot of guys in the group that are a lot of listeners because this is this is going live tomorrow. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to like win some people over because Graybeard just said basically I'm carrying a simple spot device. I mean that's yep. it's that's that's awesome. Okay, so we are well over an hour, and you need to. I'm sure do something so that you can go hunting at some point in time this year. So I've got two follow-up questions that I have queued up. If you, if you got time for just that. Yep, absolutely. All right. So the first is uh, a selfish one that if anybody who's listening to this can read between the lines, this will benefit everybody uh, for a mutual experience. We're all going on. That's all I want to say, because I've kept the, the details of this kind of uh, close to the vest to protect the patrons. But uh, Craig, who is one of your most avid avid supporter says i'll be hunting a public area about six to ten days after the peak rut the area has a very bad buck to doe ratio 10 to 15 to 1 how would you expect bucks to be reacting in those circumstances that's tough um 10 to 15 to 1 how would i expect bucks so is there a lot of pressure in this place moderate moderate amount of pressure in this place mm -hmm. i would so if i were to say how should you be hunting i would look at what the i would i would does he know where the bedding doe bedding is in this area yes i would probably honestly and i hardly would ever suggest this i honestly would probably do a like a very slow um stock to the downward side of all of those bedding areas Sitting one bedding area or in between one bedding area is going to get you very little when the dough to buck ratio is that atrocious because essentially they all have no reason to move during the day, especially if there's pressure. Um, the, the movement will be happening at night. So what I would be doing is like I would plot all of those areas, all those areas where there's, you know, there's dough bedding on the map. And then I would build yourself some kind of slow path throughout a one or two day period so that you can get to all of the downwind sides of those beddings, because what's going to happen is the bucks that smell, they won't bed in with the does, but what they will do is in this situation that you're talking about, at least from what I've seen, and again, I'm not the expert, um, but I've seen enough of the data to know they will just wait outside of those bedding areas if they think one is going to come into to heat soon. And then when the doe does come into heat or if they're tending a scrape and they're waiting for the does to work the scrape or whatever, then they'll push that doe off and mate them once they're ready. But what they'll do is during the peak of the rut, which, you know, six to 10 days is still peak of the rut. If it's like, you know, if the peak of the rut in your area is 10 November and it's 16 November or 20 November, you're still getting a lot of does that are being mated at that time. So you're gonna have a lot of bucks that are still waiting around with does. So um, I would be very still, still hunting the, the downwind areas of these of these doe beds is what I would do. I hope that answers the mail on that. And I hope I'm, I'm clear as to why I would do that. We have that kind of doe to buck ratio. You just can't expect to sit in one place all day long and see bucks moving on their feet during the day. You could, it could happen, but you're not, the numbers are gonna be much more with you trying to find whatever doe group that those bucks are keyed on during daylight hours. Do you think that, so I think if you look at a, a normal distribution bell curve and this, don't, don't, don't take this and run from a statistics standpoint, because this is going to be the, the extent of my, my statistics knowledge. But if you were to say that there's a more peaked bell curve for Kansas, 
Whereas for, let's say, Florida, it's a little more of a flattened bell curve. Would you expect to be able to sit in those travel areas later after the rut, let's say 14 to 21 days? Would that be when you'd expect them to maybe be cruising a touch more? Uh, so the distributions tighten as you move north. Right. So whereas in the south, you can have like, you can have six or eight weeks of rutting activity, especially if there are atrocious dough to buck ratios. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas as you head north, those fonts have to drop at a specific time or they will die. And there's the cycles of the does reflect that knowledge. So the type, the correlation is much more tightly. Whereas in the South, it might look like this. Right. And in, in the North, it'll look like this. If that makes sense. Like if you're yep. peak, whereas in the South, it'll look like this. In the North, it looks more like this, especially in Kansas and places like that. So what I would expect more, if you if you had to say, hey Bill, um, what if I had to sit one of those choke points or funnel points or an area where I know bucks would be moving through, I would say your likelihood of finding them is better up north than it would be down in the south, just because it's tighter and those does need to be bred, whereas they don't necessarily need to be bred right away. You also see a lot more second and third cycle breeding in the south than you do in the north. A third cycle fawn bred in the north is a dying fawn. That fawn's going to die. Like, mm -hmm. no doubt if it's bred 60 to 90 days after when it was supposed to be bred, that means it's going to be, it could be a, a July, August, or September birth, which means it's only going to have three months of feeding before the first frost. That fawn's going to die. Like, it's not going to make it through. Sure. The just because there won't be enough fat, unless food is just plentiful. But generally, the areas like that, they're not. So um, even up there, if you are talking about an atrocious buck to doe ratio, if you have the discipline, I'd still look into still hunting <clears throat> those types of areas like that. Just because <clears throat> the time, like the buck to doe ratios that I would reckon, again, I, I need to look through this more. But what my, what my instinct tells me is you need like a three to one or two to one buck to doe ratio to be able to sit like, a choke point and, and expect mm -hmm. to see five or six or seven bucks throughout one day. Like that is just like, those are, those are deer farm numbers. Like you need, you know, like you need someone who manages their own 10,000 acres or whatever, and right. they know how many does there are per buck. That is just not the case in most public land settings. Um, it's going to be skewed. And so my recommendation still then is unless it's pre enough rut and you know where the bucks are bedding, or you have some really good corridor, or you've got good numbers. Um, most of the guys who I know are successful, like the Garrett Prawls and stuff in the Midwest, they are working like two or three areas in one day, at least, um, to be successful. 10-4. Okay, so last question, and then you can move on to whatever it is you have in your evening. And I, this, is, this is a selfish one for you. Graybeard wants everyone to know what is the best way to get you valuable feedback as you develop this app? How, what's the best way about getting that to you? Well, if they're in your group, it would probably be tell you and then you tell me. That'd probably okay. be the quickest, easiest way. Outside of that, a ticket to support at SpartanForge.tech. Um, I know some of your guys are in our like Helots, I think it is. Yep. Our Helots channel. I think a couple of guys are in there. Obviously that right away I would answer. I, I look at those daily. Um, and if you guys have serious hunters, you know, more serious hunters in, in your um, group who are willing to answer messages and, and kind of have some accountability from like a perspective of 
if they want something built or if they're serious and they have some problems or issues and they're willing to have dialogues, I'll add more people to that helots group in the future. Um, but uh, certainly the support at SpartanForge.tech um, and I probably answer, it used to be 95%, but now probably about 40% of the Instagram messages I'm, I'm answering right now when I have time or maybe even less. Um, <clears throat> but, but no question, if, they, if there's something they want in the app different or something's not working or new, the first thing they do is, is, is go to support at SpartanForge.tech. And then if they have a recommendation or if they have something that they want to see in the application, um, and uh, especially if it's a novel idea, look, I'll pay you. If you come to me with a good idea, like, look, I'll, you know, I'll, I'm going to implement it, which is 95% of the work, but I'll write a person to check if they have an awesome idea. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to entertain every idea, but if somebody sends a good idea on Instagram and it's something I can implement, it's not something I've thought of, um, I certainly will give that person what they're due for their ideas and their time. Um, and then on Instagram, <clears throat> if they want that type of interaction, just put like, hey, this is a message for Bill. And if they say that they're, they're on your Patreon group, I will um, make a point to answer those questions. And, and, and I generally put a lot of thought into them. If anyone's already asked me questions on there, um, I, I try to answer those questions and I'm gonna try to answer those questions even as our usership grows. Um, Cause I think it's important for the founders and the people who are implementing these things not to become abstract because then I think the value and really what we want to provide for our customers from a user experience and a perspective of, of authenticity and of um, really caring about the hunter and their time. Um, I think the, the less abstract that I become as an owner from people, I think the more the better it is for everyone. Because then we can update quicker, we can adopt, adopt new features quicker, we can give them more of what they want quicker. Um, and it, it's like I'm steering a swift boat and not the Titanic. So, um, that, that, that's my goal, at least, is to become, or is to, to, is to remain as reachable as possible, which I think I'm pretty reachable. Yeah, I think given the follow, the, the, the volume that you're probably getting, I would volunteer to be, gladly, to be the point person for the Patreon group. If you guys still want to reach out, like John, uh, you asked about, you know, some of the ballistic coefficients of, of the data, uh, you feel free to email that to, to Bill. I can't help you with that, but I think... Uh, Anything we can do to help you reduce the volume there for sure. And I, and, and I know you take them to heart. And that's why I would rather try and maybe aggregate them and get them to you that way. So, dude, we, we, we've been on here for an hour and a half. I appreciate you, sir. Uh, do you have any, any kind of closing, closing statements? Or, or do, have we covered it all and it's just time to, for a nightcap and going to bed? Um, no, I think, I mean, we've covered a lot of what I want to talk about. Like I said, hopefully tonight or tomorrow morning we're doing the production release. And then... Um, I really hope everyone will come and donate to the boot campaign or at least, you know, get us an email and sign up for the one-on-ones with our pro staff. Um, I think a lot more people are going to participate when they see all of the things that we have lined up for the veterans hunt and all the fun stuff we're going to be doing up there. And uh, we've got some guest appearances by some pretty notable people um, that I can't mention yet, but they're coming and it's going to be an awesome time. And uh, we're going to do, you know, some food, friends and fellowship. Um, sling some beers, kill some deers, hopefully, and, uh, you know, have some fires and meet with some veterans and some people who've given up a lot for this country um, to preserve our kind of quirky and crazy way of life that's only possible in this country. Um, and I really want to give back to them as much as possible. So, um, you know, if people, 
additionally feel the need to donate to that thing for the boot campaign. Um, the people who make serious donations in there, I'll probably go out of my way just to reach out to them anyway. Like if somebody throws some money in there, like, you know, 50 bucks or hundred bucks in there and they don't win, those people I'll probably reach out to anyway and just be like, hey, I really appreciate what you did. You know, I can give you a couple of property analysis or something like that if you want to, or just talk to you with you if you want to. Um, but hopefully we uh, will be able to hook everybody up. And uh, like I said, keep this, even as the company grows, try to keep it small and keep um, this type, these types of interactions like we're having right now going, because I really appreciate it. Absolutely, dude. I think I think I speak for everyone when, when I say thank you for putting this app together. It has been a wonderful tool. Everybody has enjoyed it. It's been a, a wonderful thing to play with in the off season or when you're at the office and you just don't feel like working. And that never happens for anybody in this group. But uh, you know, it, it has been a wonderful tool. I have learned a lot from it. It's been a, a wonderful thing for me, and I appreciate you taking time. And I think as as this thing continues to unfold and as we continue to you, I keep saying we because I'm part of that Hellos group. It feels like a we thing. Yeah, it's a we. It's, and I also have my co-founders, you know, who I, I hardly ever bring up, but, you know, Jimmy and Vaughn are my co-founders and they do, you know, I'm just the, I, unfortunately, the good looking face of the company. They're the ones who are doing all the work. So, um, you know, I should mention them more often than I do, but they're in there working just as often as I am. But it is a we because, you know, we've been testing this thing, you know, since what, July or August or something yeah. like that. We've been yeah. um, pretty, you know, involved. So, and I thank you for that and thank everyone who's been involved. For sure, dude. And I want to get you back on. I know that people have requested state specific or, or like pattern specific information. Now's probably not the time for that. You're busy. But as, as we get maybe into the off season, into the spring, as things maybe uh, it's a little more conducive to start being reflective about those patterns, maybe we could keep doing these and, and maybe break down some of that stuff. And I like the screen share feature. I think that's going to be something that that speaks to people and, and we can keep it kind of closed group. Maybe those go only to the Patreon group. They get posted only to the Patreon group so that we're not, you know, giving away uh, all, all the, all the, all the good secrets, but dude, I can't thank you enough for taking time out your evening to chat with us. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for everyone who's stuck in there. Um, I really appreciate it. And uh, hope to hear from you guys all on one way or another and let me know how you like the app. And uh, I learned more from the things you guys don't like. So don't be shy. If there's something that you want to see improved or something you don't like, please. Um, I don't learn much from being told that people like it. I learn a lot more from what people don't like. I think those are the best customers, as long as they're not, you know, being overbearing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I want to improve as much as possible. So um, I look forward to hearing from everyone and thank you for your time tonight. Right on, brother.